Beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and Q&A. Register for our newsletter at michaelbenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. This is the root of all of our problems, is false identity. Believing so strongly in materialism, in the appearance of things, that we buy into, what's the saying, Uh, two physical objects cannot occupy the same space at the same time. But again, if you zoom in on a molecular or subatomic level, you see there are no edges. There's no point, clearly defined line that separates the edge of your body from the air around you. There are just clouds of of particles, energy, really. And if we think of ourselves as energy, And think about what you know about magnetic fields of energy. It's easier to understand that the universe is one enormous ocean of energy. Einstein, again, put the equal sign between energy and mass. They are equivalents. E equals mc squared. Everything is ultimately energy. The material stuff is impermanent. It all goes away. Nothing lasts. The energy is substantial, permanent. It is eternal and infinite. There are principles, laws of physics like entropy that says the energy changes form. It degrades ultimately to heat. It exists as light on many, many frequencies, huge scale of frequencies, but it's energy. And what is spirituality? in organized religion, but references to us as spiritual beings. Spirit's just another word for energy. And so as energy, nothing is separate from anything. That makes all the difference in the world. If nothing is separate, then everyone you meet is part of one thing. And you are in them and they are in you. That's the greeting, namaste. It says, in spite of the appearance of separation, (laughs) we're just a big cloud of energy, a universal cloud of energy, an ocean. And like the ocean, there are separate waves. Waves individuate themselves. And uh, there are currents and riptides and the ebb and flow of the major tides, according to the effect of the moon. And there are even rivers that run (laughs) at various depths through the ocean. And yet there's nothing about the ocean that is not in the cloud or the raindrop or 
the mountain lake or the, the stream babbling down the hillside or the broad river. They all have an ocean body. They're all part of one thing. So are we. And there is no separation. It's an illusion. So considering that, wouldn't it make sense to equate yourself and your happiness with the happiness of everyone around you? And this is loving kindness. This is metta. I think I've only mentioned this word or this concept one other time so far. Metta, M-E-T-T-A, metta, is an ancient Sanskrit word that translates roughly loving kindness. If you knew that everyone you meet, the people you really like, the people you absolutely love, the people you do not like, and even your enemy, though don't expect them to understand what we're talking about here today. If we're all one, though in terms of physical appearance, in a world of separated forms, apparently separated, but as energy, just one huge cloud, then wouldn't you want others to be happy too? That's what love is. It's one, wanting others to be happy. And many people who are deeply and profoundly in love, especially romantically in love, care more for those they love and more for their happiness than our own. To the point that it, it, it can, in some circumstances, even become out of balance and uh, dysfunctional, so-called codependence is where we'll actually betray ourselves and our own self-interest to try to earn from others the love, the acceptance, the acknowledgement, the approval that uh, we're resistant to supplying for ourselves. And it's called codependent because the people who we seek out quite magically and magnetically tend to enter that unspoken agreement, and they're doing the same thing. They, they want from you what they're unable to get and figure, you know, it's like, I'll love you if you love me. We're both, <laughs> we're both lonely and empty and devoid of love, but I'll love you. Can't love myself, don't even know what that means. Don't know how to do that or why I should. But if you love me, then I can do that for you. It's like two empty pitchers or two water glasses that are both empty. And I insist that you're going to have to fill one with the other. But they're both empty. So the idea of emotions being done to us by others is absurd. Love does not come from other people. Love does not come from animals that love us. Kitty cats that sit on your lap and purr, or dogs that could not be more loyal. The love you feel is your love coming from you. Someone says they love you, 
And hearing that causes you to feel love is because you're letting go of the fear that you're unlovable. And the love you feel is the only love there is. That divine love, capital L love, that is life itself coming through you. All love comes through you and out into the world. And if you radiate that, you emanate that, you give it away as loving kindness, even loving your enemy, you may need to stand back if <laughs> if they're truly dangerous. Watch your back. You know, not subject yourself to abusive behavior, but you can still love your enemy if it comes from a place of compassion. And in future classes, we're going to talk about compassion, a very high form of love. And it's difficult initially to get your head around. Why, sh why, why should I love my enemy? Why should I love somebody that doesn't love me? Uh, what's the benefit of, of loving on that level, of forgiving, of being compassionate, uh, being compassionate, and seeking with that compassion to recognize their suffering? We'll talk more about that. But to take responsibility for your emotional feelings is responses to what's happening around you is the point of all of this. Now, thinking about your emotions as a way of understanding them, I'll bet you've noticed, <laughs> doesn't really work. You can think and think and think about how you feel, and you're just spinning your wheels. You're, you're not really getting any place. So thinking about your feelings doesn't work. There has to be another way of understanding the meaning of an emotional feeling, the significance of our feelings as responses. Again, not as something done to you. That's the stimulus. Somebody insults you, says something mean or hurtful or nasty or cruel, that is going to stimulate a response. But the emotion that you feel, rather than thinking of it as having been done to you, it's much wiser to recognize it as a response, not a stimulus. The emotion is the response to the stimulus, don't you see? Well, I feel this way because this person said something really cruel and mean and nasty. Okay, that was the stimulus. But the emotion that comes out is your response, and it's very personal. And it's about you, not them. And it's a very important part of personal development and an essential entree to spiritual development to take responsibility. Hear the word response in responsibility? the way you feel emotionally and not obsess on the individual that made you feel that way or the group or circumstance, the, the event or the condition. We often call it the rising of a condition that stimulates your emotion. Damn it, it's your emotion. Own it. Whatever the emotion is, if it's hurtful, if it's so-called negative, and I say so-called Forgive me for repeating this. I think it's important 
so-called negative feeling because they're actually exceedingly valuable. They're uh, uh, warning signals that alert you to <laughs> something wrong, something's run them up. They're very valuable, not to be avoided, but embraced, uh, accepted, recognized. But know that they're yours. Stop projecting them on the stimulus. So how do we discern the meaning of this emotional response to whoever or whatever in the world is hurting us? That's intuition. That's what I want to address today. Now, intuition is often referred to as a gut feeling. Sometimes it's called the sixth sense. Uh, what did I say earlier? The still small voice or the voice of the soul, the voice of conscience, which is knowing right from wrong, but intuition goes way beyond uh, knowing right from wrong to a whole range of values and ethics, morality, and the meaning of our emotions a deep and profound understanding of yourself that you'll never attain with thought. The old mystics have said for thousands of years, you cannot think your way to God, whatever God means. The ocean, the one thing. You know, not an old white guy with blue eyes on a cloud, but something much more mind-boggling and incomprehensible and ineffable, I love that word. Ineffable is the word that means there are no words. <laughs> I love that. Thank God there's a word that means there are no words to explain. Ineffable. The source, the prime mover, the first cause, the creator. The absolute, that's what philosophers call the source, the absolute. Everything else is relative. The source, the one source of all that is, is the absolute. The only approach to understanding this Godhead, there's another word for it, is through emotions. Emotions are the portal to spirituality. So we have to own the feeling. We have to understand the nature of our emotional feelings. We have to find them in our body and address them and translate them into something meaningful. That's what intuition is. Now, there's another gut feeling called instinct that we should not confuse intuition with instinct. I want you to think of a bar magnet running from the heart chakra to the base of the spine, the root chakra. So that's four chakras. You have the root, the sacral, the solar plexus, and the heart. Solar plexus is your belly. The sacral is below your belly, sort of your abdomen. And then the root is the tail, the base of the spine. The lower three, and then the upper three, by the way, the throat, the ajna, and the crown, those all come together in the middle at the heart. Should not be a surprise that the heart is the center. 
three chakras above, three chakras below, are unified in the heart. That's the center. That's the bothness. That's the vesicle pisces we talked about last week. That oval where the two circles, the two sets, overlap. And that oval is the set of both. The heart is everything above and below. The survival of the bottom three and the aspiration to realize ourselves as spiritual beings in the higher three, the throat, ajna, and crown. All of them correspond with endocrine glands. That's another lesson for another day. Intuition corresponds with the heart. Instinct corresponds with the root. So I want you to think of a bar magnet. And the north pole is the heart chakra, and the south pole of the bar magnet is the root. And around these polarities, this yin and this yang of the heart and the root, of course, is a unifying magnetic field. And every point in that magnetic field, every point in that magnetic field, and of course on the bar magnet itself, is both north and south pole, yin and yang. There's no place so high in the bar magnet that it's only influenced by the north pole. And and likewise, you, you can't go far enough south on, on the bar magnet that the North Pole doesn't have some influence. It may be 99-1, you know, and 60-40 and 70-30, and it's all variable. But you have the polarities of, in this case, intuition and instinct. All right? Now, instinct is an animal-based reflex. There are many types of instinct. Uh, a bird builds a nest, uh, sits on an egg. Uh, some of them migrate south for the winter to find better climates. This is all done largely instinctually. There's all, all types of instinct. But one of the most important aspects of instinctive behavior is the uh, fight or flight, oh no, run away uh, reaction. So when they say the south pole of this bar magnet between the heart and the root, and we're talking about this range of gut feelings, so-called, is the instinct, oh no, run away. The instinct points out what to avoid in life, danger or potential danger, maybe imagined. Usually it is. The intuition corresponds to the North Pole, the, the heart chakra, which is, oh boy, <laughs> the intuition reveals what to move toward. Okay. I've given this a lot of thought, and I, 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 I hope I don't sound immodest, but I can't find very much literature about this at all. Intuition and instinct are words that are used interchangeably. And I suppose we could build really simplistic models 
but I think it's dangerous. I remember, you know, George Bush talking about his gut. And he started a, a, a war in Iraq based on his gut. He was very proud of that. And he talked at one point about a meeting with Putin, the fascist dictator in Russia, and said, I looked in his eyes and I saw his soul. I knew it in my gut. Well, I think that gut needs to be recognized as having polarities. And gut feelings refers to the blend of oh no and oh boy that we commonly feel throughout each and every waking day. When you have a feeling, it's somewhere in this area, sacral, solar plexus. It could be heart-centered if it's really, really uh, a high level of intuition and little instinct. Or in a stressful situation, it could be mostly instinct and very little intuition. But it's usually a little bit of oh no and a little bit of oh boy, a little of run away from this and a little bit of move toward that. Though there's an order, obviously, in a real dangerous situation or even in a situation that appears to be dangerous, we may begin with the instinct to just run in any direction. <laughs> just get out of here. Just avoid the danger. It's only later that the intuition, which again is a byproduct of relaxation, right? So when you've escaped the danger, you either fought successfully or fled successfully, fight or flight, and you survive it, you can relax, breathe, let go. Now the intuition speaks and says, you just ran in any random direction. Now it's time to reorient yourself and move toward what you do want. That's intuition in the heart or aspiring to the heart. But most of our daily feelings are a blend of instinct and intuition. In this whole area, belly, abdomen, from the heart to the base of the spine, gut feelings with these polarities of intuition and instinct. Now, instinct is an autopilot thing. We're not, we don't have to manage that. Intuition, on the other hand, as I said, is very highly refined. It's what to move toward. And what we're moving toward, you can call this evolution, if you will, not merely evolution of species, of physical beings, but the evolution of consciousness is an awakening where very quickly, as human beings, moving toward the awareness that we are not, our bodies, our separated selves, our individuality, aspiring to the soul and redeeming the soul, which is a matrix of spirituality, the energy side. But we are, in fact, or better said, spiritual beings, beings of light and love, and kindness that have incarnated into fleshy bodies. So 
the whole meaning and purpose of life. If you've ever wondered, and I'm sure you have, beyond earning and spending and buying stuff and repairing it and replacing it and distracting yourselves with material goodies, is to evolve, not, not just bigger, stronger, healthier, living longer. That's all wonderful and important. But uh, to, 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 in terms of our consciousness, our awareness to evolve, to a better understanding of who we are and what we're for, which, of course, is service to other people, who ultimately are you. <laughs> Again, allegories abound. Uh, I love the, the idea of white light from a star going through a prism and breaking into, because each color is a different frequency, the prism bends the light, and you open that beautiful white light into this rainbow of infinite colors. Seven usually, but there's all the permutations and combinations and, and variations of those colors, all of which are bound up in that white light. So, again, the, the Godhead, the source, the, the absolute, manifests itself, incarnates itself as multiplicity as all these human beings and all these animals and all these plants and arguably the rocks and the metals and the gases and the soil of the mineral kingdom. It too is conscious on a very primal level. Interesting aside, I did an interview with the chairman, a medical doctor, the chairman of the Department of Consciousness Studies at the University of Arizona in Tucson. Uh, Hammeroff was his name. I forget his first name, Dr. Hammeroff. And we were talking about the nature of consciousness, and he said they were studying, among other things, not only the consciousness of microbes, little single-cell creatures, um, they can learn and grow. And uh, what I mean by grow is uh, their awareness. They can understand. They learn. They can solve problems. Single-cell creatures, no brain, not a single neuron, <laughs> no gray matter, no central nervous system, no nervous system at all, just one cell, like an amoeba or a protozoa, right? And they can solve problems like the shortest path to food in a microscopic maze and communicate with each other. And uh, trees talk to each other. There's all this evidence now of how trees communicate with each other. It's just so much more majestic and, and, and amazing than you might think. And they were talking about, or he was talking uh, in my interview, uh, about the consciousness of plants and how a flower will blossom and open itself to the full light of day uh, and, and search for the sun. And as the sun moves across the sky, the flower will track it. How does it know to do that? And then we talked a little about the Venus flytrap. And how does this, <laughs> how does this plant, this vegetable, know to uh, when, when a fly or a mosquito or some insect is triggered, uh, and then, you know, it 
like an animal. It eats it. It, it closes and begins to dissolve the, the insect. They're carnivores, uh, flesh-eating plants. What is their consciousness? And he said, imagine a camera taking a snapshot. He said, a single-celled creature like a protozoa, an amoeba, a paramecium, may have two or three instances of awareness per minute. Two or three snapshots of being aware of its environment per minute. Isn't that far out? And he said plants are about the same. That they are conscious of themselves existing two or three times a minute. He said at the other end of the spectrum, human beings have millions of instances of awareness per second. So to us, it's a stream of consciousness. And then it's a sliding scale, right? Animals are less conscious and less conscious. I saw a funny video the other day of a bear encountering a mirror. <laughs> the bear freaked out. There's only eight animals that recognize themselves in a mirror. Uh, humans can't do it usually until they're about 18 months old. Recognize your image. It's a test for self-awareness. Uh, bears are not one of the eight animals. <laughs> this, this poor old black bear just freaked out when he saw the mirror. Jumped out of his skin and immediately attacked the mirror. Ran around behind it. Couldn't find the other bear, so he just smashed the mirror. So we go down the scale, less aware, less aware, less aware. But plants are aware. They're alive. Everything is alive. I said it was a detour. Let me come back to the main track, and then we'll go to your questions. So for today, let's just know that there's a important distinction to be made here. Just as we talked about the two kinds of logic, deductive and inductive, we've talked about intrusive thoughts, which are task-unrelated thinking. Logic would be task-related. I'm going to read, I'm going to write, I'm going to make a decision, I'm going to uh, study this map, whatever. That's task-related, TRT, task-related thinking. But the intrusive thoughts, the monkey mind, the jabbering that goes on when we're not engaged is TUT, task unrelated thinking. So that's the logic and the intrusive thoughts from last week. Today, the difference between intuition and instinct. And next week, we'll talk more about how to develop instinct and how to use your instinct to interpret the meaning of your feelings, your emotional feelings, which are the portal to spiritual growth. And I hope that's clear uh, to this point. There's a lot here. I hope you found it half as exciting as I do. I just love this stuff. I think it's so helpful when it comes to understanding the chaos in the mind. And remember that meditation that we did today, too. Uh, not just in your future meditations as another uh, technique to use in your meditation, but in your daily life and affairs. Not to let things upset you so much. Just don't react. It's a practice. It takes a while. 
but uh, you get bad news. Well, don't freak out. Just take a breath, relax, and think about it in a state of expanded awareness. Breathe, relax, let go. Oh, no, how am I going to pay this copay on my medicine that's a million dollars a month? And I've got this enormous copay. Where am I supposed to get the money for that? And then all the drama ensues. Don't worry about it. It'll work out. It always has. Sometimes it, life can be real uncomfortable, but you get through it, and you'll get through it better <sighs> if you breathe and relax, remain calm, and have access not only to clear logic, clarity of relaxation, clarity of an undisturbed mind leads to much greater uh, intelligence, insight, understanding conscience and consciousness and the wisdom of the soul.